0: Turn it up.
1: You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson.
0: And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No
1: BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe.
0: The one request we tell our guests?
1: Stories or didn't happen?
0: A big welcome to our marketing fan.
1: Prepare to
0: turn the f- up. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today, I'm joined by Brienne Fleming. She helps solopreneurs, small businesses, and corporations build relationships that transform leads and customers into loyal fans. Brienne also hosts a marketing podcast called Making the Brand, which is a must-listen, and hosts the infamous Pop Chat on Twitter. I am super excited to pick her brain today. Thanks for joining me, Brian.
1: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And and what an intro. Thanks for speaking so highly of pop chat.
0: Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun chat that everybody should definitely take a part of. I've taken a part of a couple of them and I've seen a lot of people take a parts of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cool. The first thing I want to get into is how did you get into marketing?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, I really go way back (laughs) with that. It really stems from my childhood where I was a teeny bopper at heart, honestly, and I loved reading teeny bopper magazines. So everything from Tiger Beat to Teen Beat, J14, I just absorbed all of that content. It was content before content as we know it today. It was all print and traditional media. And just being such uh, such a fan of those magazines, it later on inspired me to take courses in yearbook and newspaper and TV production and really just explore marketing and media in general. So then by the time I got to college, I decided to study advertising and public relations. And I've really just been working on different brands and just immersing myself in all things creative ever since.
0: How do you think magazines influenced your marketing? Like, how did, did it help, like, your headlines and your, like, copy? And, like, how did that influence it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, just at a young age, it's really what sparked my fascination. I think I consume these magazines a lot differently than my peers and my friends who would, who would, I mean, everyone would read them when we were younger, but. I, yeah, I did exactly that. I would study the headlines and the layouts and I would even look at the advertisements probably a little bit longer than some of my friends would. And I remember just being so interested in some of the feature stories that they would produce monthly, like the embarrassing moments and all these different sections. And thinking about content like that, that was user-generated content in print form, something like embarrassing stories that you'd read in these magazines. And I just remember always feeling seen and like I could relate to everything everything in there. And it really just, yeah, it stuck with me. And, and now we've just seen the same idea of, of why those magazines were successful, but we're just seeing it now shift to digital.
0: Yeah, I always say to people that you should look at magazines and these articles cuz they understand people and they understand what converts and they understand so if you study magazines which is a, a completely not many marketers actually do this they like go and dive deep but if you study these magazines you'll you'll find like how to write a good headline how to format an ad like how to format these are these are, and Vicky Ross who came on my podcast a couple months ago said that like it's a great way if you're trying to learn a audience to look at the magazine and see how they write to that audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they were just so colorful. And, and like I said, we didn't have social media at the time. So my magazines were all I really had. So I would flip through them often more than once and just, it became a ritual for me. Every every Saturday or so, my cousin and I would go to the mall and we'd spend our allowance on a couple magazines and trade them. And yeah, that's really how I, I just became so interested by it all.
0: I want to ask you a question that I ask everybody on this podcast is what do you think most marketers are doing wrong today?
1: Ooh, what are they doing wrong? I mean, I guess you can always say that a lot of brands... Try to be too promotional and they make it about them. But I think, thankfully, if there was any silver lining of 2020, brands really started to see the light and the fact that empathy is the most powerful thing. Instead of just, I always say, one of my favorite tweets that I wrote a while back, I was saying that you have to treat content and social media more like a karaoke party than a solo act. And I think brands do that. I think it's all about them. They think it's all about just speaking to what they're great at and their benefits and features and why they're the best. But going with the karaoke type of analogy it's all about involving your audience relating to your audience connecting with them and making it more participatory than just being overly promotional all the time so i think we'll always have brands that do that but i will say it's nice to see that more brands are are making that shift
0: <laughs> what are some tactics to get your audience more involved what are some things brands can do to Involve their audience in social and content, and all those t- different types of medians. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it really starts with just asking open-ended questions and telling your audience exactly what you want them to do. I also teach courses online at the University of Florida, and one thing I tell my students is there's a difference between passive versus active captions, and especially on social we see a lot of captions that are just written without inviting that participation and i think a lot of times we hope that our audience is going to be just waiting with bated breath and and hoping to jump at the chance to comment on our stuff but it's it's not like that at all you have to give them that nudge so for instance an example i always use of a passive versus active caption let's say you work in the restaurant industry and you see this all the time, a a restaurant will post uh, a picture on a Friday and say something like, oh, who's ready for happy hour today? That is such just a almost rhetorical question. Like, of course we're ready for happy hour. Of course we're ready for the weekend and whatnot. People aren't just waiting to jump and answer that. Like, oh, I have to respond to this. But if you made it more personal and involved your audience by saying something like, you know, TGIF, happy Friday, everyone. What is your favorite or what is your go-to happy hour drink? That makes it personal. That makes people think of something that that is true to them, something that they can really contribute something about themselves. So simply just reframing how you approach captions and just your content in general, making it more open-ended will inspire that conversation.
0: And how could like a brand... differentiate from other brands because there I see a lot of like trend jacking and stuff like that and you could sometimes like you could tell someone's brand voice is stolen from someone else's brand (laughs) voice so like how do you do brands like separate themselves but and not copy other brands and stay ahead of the trends.
1: Mm -hmm. That's really an interesting question to ask within the context of trend jacking, because with trend jacking, right, you might have brands that they're all jumping on the, the same trend and they might do it in a similar way, but it's really all about just staying true to your voice and knowing when to sit it out. You know, there might be something really Trending in pop culture and you have to ask yourself. Does this align with our brand goals? Is this does this really sound like us? I don't know if you saw it but hotels.com had a, a tweet over the weekend that just really did not suit them They were trying to quote a Megan the stallion uh, Lyric and they were just getting roasted for it and you have to have that type of judgment which I think is is something that's hard to teach. It's hard to know and to really get people to have the judgment to know when it's okay to jump in and when it's, eh, maybe we should sit this one out. So that's that's something that I always encourage marketers to try to work on is knowing, knowing that kind of gray area of when to jump in versus not.
0: And how could marketers be better in like tying culture into their marketing? Because I think like like Megan the Stallion is a great example but there are like brands that are doing well like Peloton like tying in like Rihanna and the Beatles and stuff like that which I think is super cool how they did that I think like I want to know like I think this is something that is up and coming in marketing like how do we insert culture better that fits the brand as well like a lot of people don't make it fit the brand like they, they <laughs> right. insert they like Megan the Stallion does not fit that brand. Mm -hmm. Um, but what, how can you choose the right pieces of culture to fit your brand? Right.
1: I mean, it, I know it sounds like we're beating a dead horse, always saying this phrase, but it starts with knowing your audience and it's knowing your audience beyond just the demographics. So beyond their age, their household income, where they live, that doesn't really tell you much from a content opportunity perspective. Whereas if you know what they're listening to, what they're watching, what they're currently talking about, and really doing that social listening, you'll have a higher likelihood of, of doing that uh, successfully. A brand that I always talk about that does this well is uh, Tarte Cosmetics. They actually live tweet during The Bachelor and it makes sense for their audience and they do it in a way that is is true to them and it doesn't feel forced I remember I had a, a DM from someone who was talking to me about how Tarte does that, and they said that they they run a pharmaceuticals company, and they tried to <laughs> jump on the bachelor bandwagon once, and it totally flopped, and that makes sense. You just have to make sure it aligns with who your audience is and what they're currently talking about.
0: Yeah, because there's a great example that I love, and it's from TikTok, and how Charlie d'amelio was drinking Duncan every single day in her TikToks, and then they made a drink out of it. I think that is like a perfect example of like it's not a forced thing for her audience because she sees a drink. I think it's forced when you start bringing products that they've never that, that don't relate to that per that that person at all or that that public figure or that pop culture thing. I think that's where it becomes a. Like okay, you're just trying to sell me with that person.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to go into the subject, which I think a lot of people struggle with, is niche, niches, niches. Niche, like yeah. even the hardest word to say out there. That everybody <laughs> say. But how do you come up with a niche, and how do you know like what is the right size? Because I think like a lot of people want think like oh, because I go with this niche, I. I'm not reaching enough people. But that's so untrue. So I want to dive into that topic a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can start on this just from telling you my personal experience. I really think I've started to carve out this niche of pop culture, particularly 90s, early 2000s pop culture, which is what I love, and, and marketing. Those are really two of my favorite things. And for me, that niche was under my nose the entire time and I never realized it. I mean, I just told you I was worshiping and absorbing these magazines and boy bands and then this whole pop music scene ever since I was, you know, seven, eight years old. And suddenly I grew up and I'm like, okay, I'm a professional now and I need to completely abandon that. And, oh, I'm also a professor at, a, at a, a really well-known university. So I need to just forget that part of me, forget that side of my personality and really just be buttoned up. And I found that when I did that, I didn't really have anything distinguishable about me or any, there was nothing distinctive. And the worst part was that I didn't feel like myself at all. So I think one, it starts with just reflecting on who you are. I always say that personal branding isn't about reinvention. It's really just about reflection. I think that's a mistake that a lot of us make. We decide that, okay, I need to create this whole new version of myself to fit this mold of what my niche is or what I want it to be. But yeah, in that same experience, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to find people that like talking about marketing and the Spice Girls. You know, <laughs> like that was a question I literally asked myself. And I said, you know what? This is me, and I'm just going to go out there and see what happens. And I did think, okay, I'm narrowing this too much, or you know, there can't be that much overlap between marketing and, and pop music and pop culture. But if you just keep it up over time, you'll find your audience. I tweeted yesterday that building a community is really just about finding other people who are as wonderfully weird as you are. So no matter what your niche is, you might think it's too narrow. Maybe you have a passion for geckos or something that you think is totally random. That's an example I use in one of my classes. There is this guy who loves geckos and he has like 100,000 followers and merchandise all about his love of geckos and finding other people who like lizards. And no matter what your niche is, some people might not understand it, but you're going to find other people who, who do. They're out there.
0: Yeah, that's an awesome point, I think. I think people underestimate that there's like the power of how many people are in that audience and they under, they think like they're kind of the only person who likes X or the only person who likes Y, but it's actually not true. There's, you just have to be able to find the people who like X and likes Mm -hmm. Y. What I want to go into that is like, what are some comparisons about like, pop culture and marketing, like what are like the key comparisons? Like how are they the same and how do you make those comparisons?
1: Yeah. Well, I always mention that pop culture, when, when brands incorporate it into their marketing, it it helps personify them. Uh, It just helps their audience find something relatable. Like if, if there is a show or a moment or something that you're talking about with your friends and family, but also with a brand you know, that that strengthens that bond. Um, Some other parallels I I like to study and, and learn more about is just how musicians and artists and actors, actresses, how they're able to build true fan relationships, where people will line up, they'll camp outside to get those concert tickets or to you know, get a selfie with a celebrity, whatever it might be. They've really built such a strong connection that their fans are devoted to them. And I think when brands stop seeing their customers as customers and as dollar signs and start seeing them in a more genuine way, and realizing that they're people uh, with real emotions that they should just truly want to connect with and relate to, that's when the magic happens because they they don't feel like you're just shaking them down trying to sell them something. It's clear that you actually want a relationship with them. So I always encourage brands to, to look for fans, not just customers.
0: So what are some tips that you give brands to find, like, create these fans? like? Turn these customers into fans. Like, what are like like three things that you would recommend people start doing today for that? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, like I mentioned before, definitely study them beyond just demographics. I have clients that you know I'll ask them who their audience is or who they think it is, and again, they just rattle off you know age, household income, all those things I mentioned earlier. So it really starts with a deeper understanding of of who they are and what they're into, and Once you know that, that's when you can start building content around it, but not just understanding what they're watching and what they're consuming, but also what they're feeling or what they're going through. You always have to know what problem your audience is facing. That's really the first step in in building a content strategy is asking yourself, what perception does our audience have that's preventing them from making a purchase or what insecurities do they have about not taking that next step? And when you make your audience feel understood and like like you understand them, that's when they'll want to build that relationship we, with you and over time become a fan. It's the same thing with music. We gravitate toward songs and lyrics where we feel understood and like the artist knows what we're going through. And that's the same with brands. You're able to craft messaging that is just more relatable and, and makes your audience feel feel seen and acknowledged.
0: And I also think a couple of things that, like, comparison that artists do very well, like music artists especially, is one, like, they're pretty good at, like, stealing from the best that work. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. lyrics, that's a very marketing thing. Like, what's that line? Don't re- reinvent the wheel, just...
1: <laughs> I think that's it. That's the only yeah, part yeah, I...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. don't <laughs> reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. is number one. And two, I think their remixes and like collaborations they do i think people underestimate like the power of like content remixes even like curating content from other like taking a popular song and making it your own like it's just like taking a popular marketing idea and taking your own and then collaborations i think like a lot of brands are doing this well now but like it's been in front of you the whole time with all these pop artists and rappers and basically bringing popular artists and their audience to their song and making a one, a whole one big audience out of it, which is like something that you could steal straight from artists these days, which is yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I found to be interesting in 2020 was that these formal brand partnerships and collaborations on the surface, didn't seem to make sense. Like, we had Lady Gaga and the Oreo partnership. Like, when you think of Oreo, Lady Gaga would not be the first person that came to mind. Or Post Malone now has his own line of Crocs. Um, Sometimes these brand partnerships don't make sense on the surface, but I think there's still... Sometimes there's power in throwing logic out the window and just saying, "Who do we want to be as a brand? How can we make this partnership mutually beneficial? And how can we leverage each other's audiences?"
0: Yeah, it brings up a good point. Like, how do you balance like taking big swings as a, like for a brand? This is something that like Amanda Gads talks about too, and a lot of other people talk about is like balancing data and gut. Right? Like, when do you know like A lot of actually, a couple marketers I've been talking to have the same opinion on this. It's basically like you have to know when to take big swings that the data don't tell you to Mm -hmm. do. So, like, when? How do you come up with those? Like, get these inspirations for these moments and just take those swings?
1: Yeah. Well, it can be harder for some people depending on the hierarchy of your, your corporate structure and the things you can get away with. But I'll quote Seth Godin here who talks about this a lot. He always says, being risky is safe and being safe is risky. And the more you're just safe, just putting out content that just gets you through, through the day, that just checks a box, that doesn't take a big swing, that isn't a big risk, you know he says it's not remarkable i like to just call it content that's wallpaper it's just there it's not really interesting it's not sparking anyone's curiosity it's it's not conversational in any way and that is the drawback you have to be willing to do something that stands out to zig when everyone else is when everyone else is zagging those are the creative risks that are always worth it because that's that's what gets you talked about and what gets people to notice you. But again, I understand it can be hard to get you know, your boss to see it that way potentially, or the CEO of your company might not feel comfortable taking that risk. But you have to really communicate that that is what gets you noticed, not by just playing it safe and posting the same old stuff that you know doesn't shake things up.
0: Yeah, that makes a good point. I mean, the corporate structure is a hard thing to deal with and mm-hmm. I think one of the things I always tell other marketers is intern- that's where internal selling comes in as a marketer and it comes as a highly big skill is like a lot of people just put their ideas out and hope they hit instead of like selling it to like their multiple people in the company and get buy-in before even going to their boss. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it, that's where it gets a lot of things get mixed up. But one thing I want to go into is when should a brand start focusing on building a community? Because I think a lot of people think of it as a byproduct of a good brand, which it happens. Like you see some brands, it happens to naturally. But if they focus on it early, like it probably could change the way. So how should brands and when should brands focus on building community?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's ever too early to start. I mean, once you start identifying who you want your audience to be and the need that you serve, you can start from there. And it always starts with just one person. I always tell the story of my Twitter chat. I started it about a year ago in January of last year. And I did some research on it and everything was saying, oh, you know, you should have at least 6,000 followers before you, you start a Twitter chat, just to make sure that there's a lot of engagement. I had 400 at the time, and I only had three people join my first chat. And I still just went out there, and I I posed open-ended questions, and I served those three people who joined, and I hope they had fun. Some of them are still you know, loyal chatters <laughs> when I still have my chat every Friday. And I could have said, okay, I'm gonna wait to start this community when I have six thousand followers, like this article said. But it was actually the opposite that happened. I I was able to build this community just because I, I started and just made content that I thought people would like and I wanted to start genuine conversations with people. So you don't need a huge following to do that. It might be a little slow in the beginning. But people will find you, and you just have to keep up with that consistency, and it'll happen over time.
0: Yeah, I read this quote. Someone posted it on Instagram yesterday, and it said, "Consistency is not only attractive; it's an attractor, and people admire people who take frequent actions." I always tell people, like I always give this like simple advice that you're just giving right now, and like people underestimate, but like just showing up. Every time you say you're going to show up or show up every day on social or show up every day providing value to your customers, like it builds trust subconsciously. Like you're they know that they will rely on your you every day to be in their feed and. Obviously, there's that argument between, like, quality and, and quantity, but at least Twitter, like, quantity works pretty well. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We're but, lucky
1: there. <laughs> yeah.
0: But other at other channels, it's not very um, lucrative to be too below Spam the people. par. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to it's a fine balance but I think like especially in building audiences that I've noticed from just building on LinkedIn was mm-hmm. I just show I just showed up every day for 365 days and that's how I built it and that's how I tell people like it wasn't I did post like pretty B plus content like it wasn't like amazing but it was enough to provide enough value to the audience and then I just sh- showed up every day and people relied for me to be on their feet and that's what, how consistent you build. I want to kind of pick your brain on one topic is Twitter because I'm actually new to the Twitter game. I focused on LinkedIn for uh-huh. my first year. So what are some tips to growing a community on Twitter?
1: Oh, I think you, you kind of stole my thunder there. It's really that, that consistency. I said the same thing, but on Twitter, I'm going to try to write at least one to two tweets every day. And especially with the Twitter chat, that is the only reason that the chat has grown to what it has today is because I committed to a certain time one o 'clock eastern every Friday. I said I was going to be here and host a chat, whereas other content endeavors in my life I had been really wishy washy you know I you know may or may not blog this week or maybe i 'll post the podcast on. Thursday after I'm done editing it instead of Monday, like I originally thought, or I, I would just, I didn't have the same discipline that I did as far as the, the Twitter chat and announcing, yes, every Friday I'm going to be here. So I think doing what's manageable for you and just showing up every day, even if it's a little something, a little thought, one thing with that, I mean, I know a lot of people might be thinking, oh gosh, I'm on Twitter, I'm, I'm on social media all day for my corporate job or my day job. I don't have the energy to also devote time to my personal brand as much. But yeah, starting small with just one tweet a day, but also if you're at liberty to do so, In real time, tell us something you're working on in your day job or an important thing you learned from a project you did that day or just, you know, an insight from a meeting. Just letting us be a fly on the wall in your regular day-to-day will help you with that consistency versus sitting at your desk and thinking, oh gosh, I have to write this brilliant tweet. Again, reflect on your day, reflect on something that happened and, and publish.
0: How much content ideas and tips do you get from your pop chat? Like, I'm just interested in that. Like, how many, like, like inspirations of your posts have came from pop chat?
1: Meaning like how many? Like,
0: for example, like for me, like I get inspiration out of anything. Like this conversation could inspire like three tweets. It couldn't inspire like, like, when i ask questions like the the reason what i and i also tell this and you do this very well and i think you do it well cuz it comes natural to you but like when you are asking questions like i attentively like read and listen to what they say so i can post new content from it so i'm just wondering like pop chat like based on the like, questions you've asked, like how many new like thoughts came into your head from all these yeah. people answering that?
1: Yeah, it really is kind of a, a domino effect. I mean, one person says one thing. And I think hopefully that's not just me benefiting from that. I think the conversation with everyone and the way we all come together, I think all of these different perspectives inspires all of us with our content. and And I think we all get each other to think differently. But yeah, sometimes I always joke that uh, it's kind of selfish that I have this Twitter chat because I get to learn from all of these incredible people who show up, but they definitely inspire me. They are just so smart. And yeah, I really believe that every idea for a blog post or a tweet or any piece of content you create was influenced by something or someone else. So I feel really fortunate to have that type of conversation with people every Friday.
0: The last question, before I get into a quick rapid fire with you, um, is what is one statement you would put on a billboard for every marketer to see?
1: Ooh, okay. Well, I'm gonna default and, and tell you a quote that has probably had the biggest impact On my life from a branding standpoint, there's an author that I follow, and uh, she's just renowned in the advertising world named Sally Hogshead. Uh, Maybe you've heard of her. She always says, It's good to be better, but it's better to be different. And that really emphasizes that we put so much pressure on ourselves to learn something new, to acquire a new skill, and to get better and better and better at at whatever we're trying to achieve but you can become better just by being different and you can illustrate you know why you're great at what you what you do so instead of trying again to reinvent yourself to try to take on all these different things and improve yourself every day just be more of who you are and just just be different and we all are different and like i said before i really started leaning into the pop culture thing I just tried to be like every other marketer and I didn't package up my marketing tips and things with this pop culture angle. I really suppressed that part of my personality, but I said, you know what? If I lean into this and just let it rip and talk about boy bands and like I said, the Spice Girls, all these weird things uh, that I talk about, that's what's going to make me stand out. So that's what I would recommend. I think it applies to both personal branding or corporate branding.
0: Oh, awesome. That's a great advice. I think like people underestimate, like just being different and unique is like something that, and your brand is your competitive advantage. Like it's your moat. Like, and if you're the same as someone else, you kind of ruining your own moat, like, which is like, (laughs) which is kind of insane to me because nobody else could be, have your brand personality, your community, your, so that's, interesting to me but i want to get into this rapid fire quickly with you and just the first question first answer that comes to mind um for each of these questions um so favorite boy or or girl band
1: oh the backstreet boys (laughs) (laughs) that's a given that's easy
0: (laughs) Favorite, favorite song
1: oh my gosh that's really really hard I'm going to go with one that I've written about and done a podcast about. So maybe I'll do like a little shameless plug here, but All Too Well by Taylor Swift, I just think is a masterpiece. And yeah, I have a, a podcast episode about what marketers can learn from that song and how it's just a just stunning example of storytelling.
0: I love that. Favorite brand?
1: Oh, gosh, that's really hard. A brand that I love right now is Casper. I just think they're really creative and who doesn't love sleep products, but I just think they have a really creative approach to marketing, even with out of home. I remember being on a a sub on the subway in New York and they had these like fun riddles that had, you know, these like sleep puns and things that you had to figure out and You know, It extends beyond just out of home, but I feel like you don't see brands do out of home well uh, these days. And just from a a branding perspective, I love their just execution of everything.
0: Yeah. I I have actually a Casper mattress. I actually love them. Yeah, it's cool. (laughs) What um, brand has kept you going during this pandemic?
1: Well, obviously Zoom. (laughs) A lot of ways Zoom. Probably Spotify. I mean, just... Music, music gets you through anything. If I had one, if I had to declare like a brand of the year of 2020, I would say Peloton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have one. I'm thinking about it, but I just, yeah, I, I didn't expect at-home fitness to really make a comeback. So
0: I've been saying to people that I got Peloton before Peloton was um, like now mainstream because yeah, was, I got it before like the pandemic, and I we were I was riding because. I was like sick of how many how expensive like soul cycle classes are and all those yeah. like big classes. So I was like, oh, why do not why not do this? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what is the best brand collab you've seen?
1: Ooh. Well, one that's top of mind that I absolutely love. I mean, it was a few months ago, I guess it's not super recent, but the Airbnb blockbuster collab I thought was so funny, just again, the way they executed, the way that Blockbuster revived their their Twitter account after like seven years of being completely inactive. They just showed up with like one or two tweets about that and then was like, all right, (laughs) (laughs) see you guys next time and like completely closed off. But I don't think any of us saw that coming. And I, of course, love nostalgia. So seeing Blockbuster come back for a second was really great.
0: Yeah. Nostalgia is actually a pretty interesting thing to use in marketing. And I think you're doing it with pop chat, but it's just like, it's just like, that's why you see like the rise of like these like sports cards and Pokemon and all that stuff, because it's so nostalgic to like what we grew up with.
1: Mm -hmm. And in 2020, I mean, nostalgia was was all we really had to lean on for a bit, especially if you Worked for a sports brand or something and games are at a halt. It was really about repurposing and resurfacing some of those old clips.
0: What's your favorite social platform?
1: Definitely Twitter, which is something else that I didn't really see coming. (laughs) I really got into Twitter in the fall of, of 2019. And I just realized I was learning so much from people there. And it didn't feel like mindless scrolling to me like it did on other platforms that I was on or am on and still, I still feel like that um, sometimes on other platforms. But what I love about Twitter is that you're able to share your thoughts versus stuff um, versus just photos. Like I compare it to Instagram. I'm like, I don't have anything interesting to show people today. You know, I'm in isolation like most of us are. And I don't really have a lot going on at the moment to show you, but I am still thinking things and learning things and reading things. So, you know, especially in the pandemic, I really leaned into Twitter and just, I I like how I'm able to express myself there.
0: Yeah. Matthew Kovac had an interesting tweet about this. And he said that the reason why like Twitter is not as like popular as Instagram, basically just to summarize it, it was like, Twitter, it's harder to share a thought than a, a just a photo. Like, yeah. like, like, it's really hard to like share a thought and keep it like concise and not make it people understand what you're trying to say. Where, like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not discrediting all the amazing pictures people take in the editing and stuff like that. But like mm-hmm. sharing thoughts, consistency is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a hard thing to do.
1: Well, that's yeah. nice to hear. Cause I feel the opposite. Cause I'm like, I can't, I don't have any great pictures to show people. I don't know how people make their photos look so beautiful or so interesting. So <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely prefer Twitter.
0: What's your least favorite social platform? <sighs> Ooh,
1: I think we're all feeling it really with Facebook. I'm a little concerned about Facebook. Uh, it's just it's just becoming a really weird place. Yeah, but I do use it daily. I still check it daily. But it's funny. I more with each passing day, I feel like I know my Twitter followers, who I've never met in real life better than the people I follow on Facebook who are college friends and family and people that I, I actually know. And I feel like I show more of myself on Twitter to these complete strangers and I, I don't share as much with my Facebook friends. So <laughs> it's a weird shift.
0: Well, I think it also comes down to what you said earlier, and it's pretty interesting. You found your niche, right? Those are the, your people, the, the weird people that do like. That, <laughs> they're like, all on uh, Twitter with me. Yeah, they're all on Twitter <laughs> with you. Last question I have is, like, what is your favorite marketing trend right now?
1: Ooh, a trend. I mean, I... I wish I was half as creative as the people who are making Reels and TikToks. I know that's not really like a trend. It's a whole, TikTok is a whole platform, but just, yeah, we talk about how hard it is to tweet something and be concise. TikTok and Reels, I mean, you're being concise, but you're also being wildly entertaining most of the time. And there's editing and, you know, formatting, all these different things to consider, I yeah, I wish I had the patience and creativity to execute reels or TikTok videos <laughs> as amazingly as some of these other creators are doing it.
0: Yeah, uh, that's what I. I mean, Gen Z has inspired like a bunch of creators. Like, you, they under people underestimate how great and how hard what a lot of these stuff they're doing on there. I'm yeah. like, I try to make a couple of TikTok videos, and I'm like, how do they make it? Like,
1: they. <laughs> like want to hire a Gen Z person to show me how to do this or just like shadow one of them for a day. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And I guess maybe other people who are listening can relate since this is a podcast for millennials.
0: (laughs) The last thing I want to leave you with is a chance for you to let the audience know where they can find you, how they can be a part of Pop Chat, um, anything you want to talk about right now?
1: Yeah. So, Pop Chat is every Friday on Twitter at 1 p.m. Eastern. And it's a good time. It's a recap of any pop culture trends or headlines for the week, but with a marketing twist on them. So, like I mentioned, for instance, the Lady Gaga <laughs> and Oreo collab, for example, that was a big headline that made its rounds on Twitter. So we would discuss what are some of the marketing takeaways from this? Why does it make sense? Why doesn't it make sense? What do you predict for it? Things like that. So that's every Friday. Uh, You can also check out my podcast. It's called Making the Brand, which I do pretty similar stuff. I, I dissect some marketing lessons inspired by pop culture from music, from sports, big moments, nostalgic stuff. And I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Brianne2k. And my website is BrianneFleming.com. I have some blog posts and fun things there.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. And I'm excited to share this with everybody.
1: Thank you. You had some great questions.
0: Bye. Bye.